1 Corinthians chapter 4 is a great spirit uh, in this church. And uh, you, that is to your credit. You uh, gather for the right reasons with the right attitude and God blesses that. And we're talking about seven mysteries and I've given you, I think, five up to this point. I'm going to give you these mysteries and talk about them a little bit tonight. If we get done with that, uh, then we'll break it off there and then we'll move into um, the, uh, uh, the seven baptisms, I think, are the ones I'm going to cover, uh, cover next. So the first Corinthians chapter number four is going to talk about a steward here. And a steward is an individual who has a responsibility. And uh, the responsibility here is not for money. It's something more valuable than money. They're called mysteries of God. Now, if it's a mystery of God, that's probably something that's valuable for you to guard. And you should know those things. You should know what those things are. Not just for preachers to know and not just these guys that preach. You should know these things. So the Bible says this, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in, in stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. You can have a seat now. That a man be found faithful. Now the first one we talked about was God manifest in the flesh. And I don't know if you know that's a mystery or not, but that's a pretty major mystery. To realize that the God that created you, no man has seen God at any time, uh, but you know, the Lord said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, you understand that by the illustration of the basketball, the outer part of that would be the Lord and the inner part of that inner tube there would be the Holy, the, the God and then in that is the air, that would be the Holy Spirit. But to fully grasp that's a difficult thing to do. Why would God come down here and manifest himself like a man? Do you ever think about that? You have with you a high priest that cannot be, uh, that doesn't fail to be touched with the feelings of your infirmities. How else would he know what it's like to be human after he created you? He can create you, but doesn't know how you feel. He can create you, but he doesn't know what it's like to have pain. He doesn't know what it's like to be sleep deprived. He doesn't know what it's like to have hunger. The Bible said when he was tempted, he hungered. He wouldn't know what hungry is. God doesn't get hungry. Uh, one of the great grandkids, or I think it was, yeah, one of the great grandkids asked my uh, wife today, does God ever get hungry? Does he eat? Well, God doesn't get hungry, but he eats because he enjoys eating. Jesus comes up from the ground and he has honeycomb and uh, fish there and he eats it just because he wants to eat it. The greatest thing about going, one of the greatest things about going to heaven is, is when you get to heaven, uh, when you sit down to the marriage supper of the lamb, that's the evening meal, marriage supper of the lamb. When you sit down to do that, you'll be able to eat just because you enjoy it and you won't get full and you won't gain weight and you don't have to worry about calories. And there's no little tag on the back that says this sandwich has 1,822 calories. If you take off the mayonnaise, you can make it 1,820 calories, you know. Oh, well, honey, I'd cut the mayonnaise out and I saved two calories today, so I'm entitled to a bowl of ice cream. I mean, that's how I count it. I'm like our old friend Joe Blasetti used to say on a regular basis. He'd say, preacher, I'm a big advocate. He said, you know what, if you skip the salad, you can have the dessert. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good reason. You've got to skip a meal somewhere in there, so skip the salad. But do you ever imagine that, that the, your creator, the one that made you, the one that was able to speak star clusters into existence, the one that was able to spin and hold the earth on nothing, the one that's able to make the sun the way that the sun is and have that sun rise and set and rise and set and put all the galaxies out there. Do you ever realize that? The one that can take sand, you can pick up a whole handful of sand and in that sand you won't find one grain alike. And you don't know where all that sand came from. That sand's on beaches all around the entire world. Where'd that come from? What about snowflakes? They got plenty of snow up in Detroit and out in the Midwest here recently. They finally got a little bit of snow, global warming or whatever you want to call it. And you take those things, they're eight-sided. Big ones, little ones, small ones, they're eight-sided and none of them are the same. God made that. In the treasuries of the snow is what he calls it in Job. God's got those things laid up there. How does he do that? Those things are past finding out. How does he sit there and, and create a bunch of animals and then instead of naming the animals, he sits down with Adam and said, what would you like to call that? 
I'm going to ask Adam when I get there, just, I mean, after I get settled down, quit bouncing off of Pluto and running all over the place and screaming and hollering and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, but I'm going to sit down with Adam and say, how did you come up with the word rhinoceros? <laughs> do you ever think of that? Rhinoceros. Well, surely it wasn't like that later. How do you know it wasn't? How about giraffe? Well, what would you name an animal like that? With two little knobs sticking out the top of his head. And you're sitting there one day and you wake up and you look out there and all of a sudden across the tops of a tree, there's a head moving. What would you name that? Besides weird. <laughs> I mean, you've never seen anything like that. We were in uh, South Africa and the guy was taking us around down there and we had to go through all these places to be able to get to the uh, squatters camps that we were going to. And we were riding through there and all of a sudden he said, now if you look across the, out there you'll see uh, uh, the giraffes and all. They'll be around in this area somewhere. There are usually giraffes around here. Well, we're all looking down on the ground like you look for deer in a forest, you know. And he goes, there's one right there. Those trees are 8, 10, 12, 15 foot high. And then all of a sudden you see a head above those things walking like this. And she goes, there, there, there's one right there. I said, where? I'm looking on the ground. She goes, it's right there. His head's up above the trees. How do you make something like that? Long, big old long legs, legs taller than I am. You ever seen a moose? Why, some of those, some of those mooses or meeses or whatever it is you want to call them, if there are more than one of them, you know, some of those mooses to their shoulder is six and seven feet to the shoulder with a big old gigantic thing to look like a front end loader on the top of their head. Do you ever think about that? God made that. Watching this history thing or not history, but this discovery show thing or something or another. And they're down in the depths of the sea and they turn on these lights down there for all these fish. And they got multicolored fish down there nobody's ever seen or whatever. And when the light goes out, it's pitch. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. Well, who'd they make that for? God made that for him. God's like, yeah, I, I can see in the dark. I like that. I got beautiful fish down there. They got a fish down there with a thing that hangs out as an appendage like that and, and makes the other fish grab at it. And then he eats the fish. And then they got fish that light up and stuff like that. I looked at that stuff in, in just absolute utter amazement. Nobody ever seen that stuff. Who'd made God made it for him. And you're just now getting on it, getting in on it. Yep. Well, preacher, why do you say that kind of stuff? Well, that God, the same God that made all of those things, the same God that made, you know, whatever's been around on the face of this earth since the beginning and back when the angels were around, when it looked like it was a geological creation, like everything was made out of hard stones and, and it must have been beautiful to reflect the sun, to see all of those uh, glistening stones in different colors, putting off their radiance and that kind of a deal. That must have been something to see, man. Your priest ephod looked very similar to that. That must have been something. That God's the God that came down here and decided in order to save you, he needed to take on flesh like you. But now let me ask you a question. Would you do that as a baby? Would you put yourself in the confines of a womb for nine months? Talk about binding God up, man. That's God in Mary's womb. Well, where was he? Still running the universe at the same time that he's incubating. Oh, I'm pretty sure he really wasn't down there yet. Really? How come that uh, the baby leapt in Mary's womb, John the Baptist uh, the, uh, leapt in uh, Elizabeth's womb when he saw Jesus, if he wasn't in there? Sure, he was in there. You say, well, preacher, you believe that? I believe that. Do you understand it? No. <laughs> you know what I don't understand about it? I don't understand why God would do something like that for me. I can't imagine why God would do that. I can't imagine if somebody heard that, how they could be anything but grateful that God that no one can control, God that has no boss, God that can do whatever he wants to do, why all of a sudden, because of his love for me, would confine himself to the body of an embryo and being a baby and then raising up the baby, put it down, Jesus. Don't pick that up, Jesus. You shouldn't touch that, Jesus. And walk over there and at 12 years of age, uh, mom and daddy leave him for three days. And he's in there teaching. I can't, I can't imagine that. 
And then knowing at about 29 and a half, he goes over there and he gets dumped in the river. And after he gets dumped in the river, he comes up uh, the Jordan River and goes out there to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and then comes out, sets about a ministry for a little over three years and then goes to Calvary and God gets crucified. I can't get my head around that. That's a mystery to me. Why would he do that? You got it figured out? I mean, I know the ultimate end of it. God manifests in the flesh. Preacher, why do you make such a big deal about that? Because all your new Bibles, they cut that part out. That's the deity of Christ. All your modern preachers try to make him human. I've even heard preachers say, well, you know, uh, Paul was about business and Jesus was about business, so you should be about business. Well, wait a minute. What kind of business was uh, Jesus about? Do you know what business it was? Do you know the passage? At 12 years of age, you know Jesus' business? He was about his father's business. He wasn't in it for monetary gain. How do you give somebody something that already owns everything? I mean, if he was interested in monetary gain, what a laughable thing to say something like that. That the Lord who owns everything, including your breath, that he's down here about business. Well, he should have turned his dad's carpenter shop into something then and wound up having a big corporation. Could you tell me how that worked out? I listened to a charismatic preach one time. He started off preaching on Jesus and he started off pretty good. And then he all of a sudden went off and he said, Jesus wasn't poor and he wasn't born in a stable and he wasn't born in a cow shed. That's all a lie. A Jesus would have been born in the equivalent of the Ritz Carlton. Where do, you, where do you come up with that? And Jesus was in a very well-known, well-to-do family, and he was always clothed in purple and fine linen and scarlet and all that. No, that wasn't until the crucifixion, man. And they were doing it to mock him. You ever let resonate on that? I want to give you something to meditate on tomorrow. Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, confined himself and allowed his creation to treat, us the way, treat him the way we treat him. Why? Because he loved you. <laughs> There's no way you're going to make it on your own. He knew it when he came. You know what he said? If I don't do it, they're all going to go to hell. So I'll do it. Boy, you talk about a man's man, boy. And God comes down here and dwells in the flesh for the likes of me and you. That's a great mystery. What are you complaining about? Your value is directly equated to the price somebody would pay to get you, right? Right? Say, I'm not worth nothing. Oh, I wouldn't say that. You're worth the blood of Jesus Christ. You must be pretty valuable. You're worth Jesus Christ going to Calvary for. Stop being so down on yourself. I mean, thank, okay, well, thank the Lord. I was no good, but I'm somebody now. The second thing I gave you, if you're taking notes, is uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's found in Colossians chapter number 1. Now, that's sinless perfection inside a sinful body. Look at uh, Mark chapter number 7. There's an old me and a new me. You have two natures. And it's important that you understand that. Uh, the old nature has five senses, and now all of a sudden you've got a sixth sense. So one of the things you have to recognize is, ladies and gentlemen is that uh, inside you there's still the spirit of man. And the spirit of man wants to do what he wants to do. And I wish I could tell you, and I don't know any way to do it unless you're in some kind of a drug-induced coma, I wish I could tell you that there is a secret to overcoming the flesh. And the only thing I can tell you next to death is, is you do the best you can, and when you mess up, fess up, and then get up. Because the more you read of the Bible, that Bible's written in such a fashion in order to keep you humble. And the reason I say that is, is you have the power inside you, but we stifle that power. If you walk in the flesh, you won't fulfill the things of the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the things of the flesh. So then the opposite should be, I mean, the answer should be, if I just learn to walk in the Spirit, I should be good. Well, why don't you? Why don't I? There's no excuse for me not doing what God wants me to do. Is that a, is that a fair statement? 
There's no excuse for me not doing. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Well, who's the one that retards him or prevents him from doing what needs to be done? It's not, it's not him. He's in me. Right? It's that old nature. It's that old nature. You call it backslidden. You call it out of fellowship. You call it anything you want to call it. But the bottom line is, is the choice is yours after you're saved, whether or not you want to walk in the spirit or not. You know, the most difficult thing to do, if you happen to be married to somebody or you happen to be associated or affiliated with somebody or you go to church with somebody and they don't want to walk in the spirit. Do you know how hard it is for you to walk in the spirit if they don't want to walk in the spirit? Let me ask you this. Have you ever gone on a diet before? Your husband's skinny as a rail and you are two ton. You're, 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 you're a couple pounds overweight. He's eating the north end of a southbound mule. And, and you're eating, you know, lettuce and bean sprouts and stuff like that. And he's, you know, dropping weight like, a, like an anvil. Right? And you, you look at food and you're gaining it. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it easier for you to maintain your diet if you're doing it with somebody who's helping you? Or is it easier to do it on your own? Can I just give you a simple illustration? Do you know how hard it is, ladies and gentlemen, to walk in the spirit when you're walking around carnal people? That's not being harsh toward carnal people. I can't do it. I don't need to be around carnal people. You say, why? I'm afraid they'll drag me down. I won't pull them up. Amen. Yeah, but you're a preacher. Yeah, but I got a little bit of sense between these big ears on the side of my head. I'm, I know better than to hang out with people like that. You say, why? It's going to cause problems for me. That's, I, I, can't, I don't do well hanging around people that complain all the time. You say, why? I go back to my old nature. I told you on Sunday, I was trained to do that. It's not hard for me to go back to that. I have to work at the opposite end of those things. I didn't say it was right. I shouldn't be that way. You'd be surprised. If you don't criticize somebody, somebody else will criticize them. You don't have to worry about them being criticized. It's not your job to criticize them. But do you know how hard it is? Is it making sense to you? Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, who you hang around with is who you become? The old preacher used to say, if you run with somebody with a limp, it won't be long before you'll be limping. Right? If you run with somebody that's complaining all the time, it won't be long before, you know, yeah. I used to know a guy that I worked with all the time and all you had to do was walk in. Man, are you feeling okay? What? Y yeah, you sure? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling okay. Walk by him about 30 minutes later. Are you sure you're okay? Before long, he's like, hey, uh, can I take a half day off? I'm not feeling so good. Just from the suggestion. The power of suggestion is important for you to grab a hold of. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is this. It's important who you run with. You say, why? If you want to do right, you got to hang around with people that are doing right. I had the benefit of having some good training partners. And the reason they were good training partners is they didn't care about all my excuses. We were there to do something and that's what they intended to do. And if I wasn't going to do it, they were going to see to it that I did what was supposed to be done. Now, my choice was is I didn't have to train with them. But the price was is if I was going to train, you're going to train with them and that's the price you paid. But you also had to encourage them when they didn't feel like doing it. Well, who do you run with? Well, if the Bible's right... Christ is in you, you're running with Him. Amen. Do you give Him His way? Best training partner you'd ever have. Um, you know what He does? Some of you are more good about getting up and going out for a walk, putting on your little tinny bopping shoes and go out and walk or uh, run on a treadmill or go do whatever it is you do for a little bit of exercise. And the Holy Spirit says to you, before you do that, can you pick up the Bible and read a little bit? That's your training partner talking to you. Could you pray a little bit? Before you turn on that golden oldies and all the junk you listen to to help you to get the enthusiasm going so you can work out and all that, could you put on a little Psalms hymn, a spiritual song? Amen. That's your training partner talking to you. But you listen to that other guy. 
the guy that wants to go to Dunkin' Donuts not to get a black coffee and a half a baked potato with no butter or nothing on it before he trains. He's the guy that wants to go by there and get a giant bear claw <laughs> and then say, man, we don't need to work out today. We look better than most. Which one are you listening to? If Christ is in you, why is that important? Well, if he's in you, this passage will apply to you in Mark chapter number 7. Look in verse 21. For within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from where? Within and defile the man. Uh, look in Romans chapter number 1. You have two natures. That old nature always wants to go back. Do you know it is easier to go back than it is forward? It's hard to go forward. Look in Romans chapter number 1. I'll pick it up in about 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. God gave them over. God didn't give them a reprobate mind. You need to get that. God gave them over to a mind that already had nothing of any value in it. They're thinking wrong. God gave them what they had already been thinking about. Don't you ever think that God gave them something that made them sinners? I've heard that taught. That's not correct. God looked down in there. Reprobate means there is nothing of any value to try to restore. God gave them over because he gave them chances and they didn't want to change. So he let them have what they wanted. God didn't make them sinners. That includes queers. God did not make them that way. You can't make God a sinner by doing that. Well, you know, the reason they did that is because God turned them over. No, God turned them over. God gave them up to vile affections up there. God winds up giving them over to a reprobate. Why? They didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. Now, if you don't want to retain God in your knowledge, you know what can happen even as a saved person? Galatians 5 says you can do anything as a saved person you could do as an unsaved person if you choose to follow after that old nature. And if you don't get anything else I say tonight, you need to recognize your salvation isn't based on your actions. It's based on the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. But if you don't stay in fellowship with Jesus Christ, you're capable of doing anything at all that you could do before you got saved. Being saved doesn't guarantee you against anything except hell. You don't have to worry about going to hell, but you might live like it here. I mean, I've seen some Christians be demon-possessed. I've seen Christians do some of the craziest things. You can't, there's no way you make any sense of it. It's their flesh taking over. They're just, they just decided to do it. But you know what? Before you start throwing too many stones, you be remember where you're living in a glass house. And but by the grace of God, something trips your trigger and you start acting out of character. Don't be too hard on folks like that. The fellow here years ago, we had somebody that hadn't been with us in a while and they came back. We made a big hullabaloo about it, man. I mean, we were glad they were back and good to see them and praise the Lord and glory to God and a good testimony and, and that kind of thing. And they stayed around for a while and they got shipped out and boy, what a blessing it was and that kind of a thing. You know what that, you know what that fellow said? That fellow said, you know something, I've been here around all this time and y'all never made no big deal. Y'all make a bigger deal out of a sinner coming back than faithful people are that are around here. My goodness, I think there's a story in the Bible about that. Amen. You know what you ought to be glad? You ought to be glad when the Lord allows a prodigal to decide all of a sudden they walk by 3857 and they come in and they crack those doors open and boy, they look like something the cat drug in. And they're beat up and worn out by the world and they're looking for some cool drink of water and a place to be able to... And they walk in the door and maybe they got tracks in their arms and maybe they got tats on them and maybe they got all the stamp and the stench of the world on them. And they come in just looking for Jesus. You know what you ought to say? Lord, thank you they found us. Here, man, sit by me. You say, why not? Boy, by the grace of God. But by the grace of God. I mean, some of you boys would be dying of some sexually transmitted disease, wouldn't you? You don't have to amen it. Just be quiet. Keep your head from bobbing. 
I mean, God could have killed you a long time ago, couldn't he? Some of you could be sitting in a jail cell right now, couldn't you? I mean, we go back enough years, I, I just bet. Some of you ladies, you may gripe about that old man that's around you right now, but suppose you married some of them boys you used to be with. I bet you'd be in a whole lot worse shape. At least you're in church. Do you ever think God puts you with exactly who you needed to show you who you are? I mean, if all things work together for good. But can I just remind you that's God's good, not yours. You ever realize God allows those things to happen? If this church ever gets to the point that you get so sophisticated, you worry about somebody walking on your carpet with dirty feet. I'm not talking about coming from the building and wipe your feet off. I mean, have a little common sense. But if you get more worried about a piece of carpet than you do a soul, there's something wrong with your soul. Amen. I don't mean stick chewing gum on the stuff and pour coffee on the pews and all that. I mean, act like you got some home training. But ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of churches where the Lord gets locked outside the door because all of a sudden, oh, well, you know, they're, they're not like us. Hey. You better remember, buddy, you'd be standing in the bread line right now downtown without God. Not me. You're a liar. God's been good to you. God's given you a good job. God's given you a health and God's given you the ability and God's given some of you the wealth that you got. Whatever it might be, it's just what you need. Well, it ain't as much as so-and-so. I said it's just what you need. God did you a favor not giving you what he gave everybody else. You say, why? Maybe you couldn't handle it. Well, I'd like to. There's the problem. There's the problem. It's none of your business. You say, what is it? God gave me what I need. It's all I need. That's all he figures I need. Then fine. I'm going to be faithful with what it is he gave me. That's good preaching. You say, why? You've got Christ in you, the hope of glory. You've got a power in you that nobody else in this town that's lost has. I don't care what position they hold and how much money they have, what kind of car they drive, house they live in, or position they hold. you got more power than them. He's in you. Can I ask you a question? Does your billboard show that? You say, what's your billboard? If Christ is in you, why do some of you look like you lost your best friend? Or you got a bad case of hemorrhoids or gas or something? I mean, if being a Christian is the greatest thing since sliced bread, can they tell by looking at you? I mean, would you, would you want somebody the way you represent Christ? Would you want somebody representing your business the way you do? Christ is in you. You think Jesus is like this all the time? You think that's how the Lord is? I mean, let me ask you a question, boys. Uh, you go in and you talk about the old ball and chain. Is that you talk to the boys about the old? Is that how you talk to her when you talk about her when she's standing there with you? What's the matter, hypocrite? Yeah, I love you. Turn over and leave me alone. Man, you'll be losing our, using our hair colors to reload your magazine at night time. <laughs> I'm just asking you. If you have Christ in you, do people know? Ladies and gentlemen, that track you hand everybody, that doesn't amount to a roll of pins if your face doesn't match what it is you're handing out. Here's a track. Hope you don't go to hell. Well, that's a great, that's a great thing. What well, do you want people to go to hell? Why are you so excited about telling somebody that? My dad told me I was going to go to hell, but it wasn't like he couldn't wait for me to go there. He told me the truth about it, scared the fire out of me, and I didn't want to go there. But the main part of that message that I still remember to this day over 60 years ago is the fact that Jesus loved me enough to die for me. I'm enamored that at seven years of age, he moved in. And I haven't made a big enough deal about that. I forget that. I got a power in there that's greater than Popeye's spinach can. 
And I forget sometimes he's right there. He's right there. I wonder sometimes when people look at me, do they see him? Do they see him? The old preacher used to say, he said, uh, when he first met uh, Billy Graham, he said, Billy Graham came in up to Bob Jones uh, uh, University up there. And he said the students had all been locked out. They were keeping it for everybody around. And of course, you know him and his reputation. He uh, didn't think the rules applied to him. And so he wound up going in there anyway. And he found him a place way up in the uh, top up there. And he listened to the guy preach and it really tagged him. He said later on he met him and he said when he first met him, he said it was like somebody was standing behind him with a big old fan. And he said it was like the Lord was just coming off of him. Just just the fan was blowing the, the Lord coming off of him that way. Now, I realize it didn't always that way. And I realize how things ended and all that. But just listen to the illustration. He said when he first met him that the power of God was so strong on the man that he could tell it. Somebody sent me a clip the other day about him preaching Jesus. My Amen. goodness, man. Amen. He's been dead for years, man. I'm listening to that thing and I'm thinking, I need to quit preaching. I mean, that guy's dead and I'm talking about that stuff's jumping off of that video. And I'm thinking, good night. Can you answer me this question? How does a man like that get up and hold an entire football or a baseball stadium full of hundreds of thousands of people and hold them spellbound for 30 and 40 and 50 minutes? Yep. He went over to China. You should go. If you ever go up there, it's just a little bit south of, uh, of Kannapolis. It's down there off of uh, 85, I think it is. It runs down that thing there. There's a museum there. They got places up there where he's in China, and he's preaching to 100,000 at a clip. Just in places you can't even get into now. They let him in China, and he's up there preaching. You know what I know? I know that they could see Christ in him. You can say a whole lot of things about him, but I got to be news for you. You think you could handle that kind of pressure preaching to that many people and never have anybody question whether or not there was anything illegal or immoral going on? Not one time was he accused of any of that. No women trouble, no money trouble. Well, you know, he kind of went off the ditch. Yeah, I understand that. But I'm going to be real careful right there. You might catch him on that, but my goodness, boy, he sure, he, he, he did one or two things. <laughs> I think until I've walked a mile in them shoes, I might just want to just say, well, okay. It doesn't raise me up any at all to knock somebody like that down. You know, well, hell's separation from God. Well, you got half of it right, but, you know, what about the rest of it? Well, you and I know the rest of it, don't you? My question is, is did the Lord see the, do, do people see the Lord in you? Ma'am, when you get up in the morning, does your husband see the Lord in you? Sir, does your wife see the Lord in you? Hey, parents, let me ask you something. Do your kids see the Lord in you or do they see the devil? Christ is in you. I can remember a few times, I won't give you names or anything. I can remember a few times looking into somebody's eyes and thinking, man, what in the world is that looking back at me? I remember an old woman up in Carolina, man, and I'm sitting there looking at them, little old small eyes squinting and that kind of thing. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, boy, there's something going on in there. And it wasn't bats flying around in a belfry. Oh, preacher, you're getting a little bit spooky. No, I'm in the Bible. Christ in you. Eyes went to the soul. Somebody said something to me a while ago, Brother Dale did, and he said, the heart doesn't miss what the eyes don't see. Did I say that right? Think about that. The heart doesn't miss what the eyes don't see. Well, that must mean I better protect my eyeballs. My heart can't miss something it's never seen before. I'm going to ask you a question. I'll move along here to the third one in just a second. Do you ever pause, ponder, think about the wonder, the majesty of God manifest in the flesh, and then on top of that, He moves into you and me? That'll cure you from sucking eggs, man. That means if you're married to somebody that's saved, Christ is in her and Christ is in Him just like He's in you.
How's your billboard? That'd be a good message to preach. Um, take your Bible, if you will, please. I'm not going to read through the rest of those. You read them tonight before you go to bed, 28 to 32. Uh, those are things that are, you're capable of doing. I want to show you one more thing. Galatians, because some of you are new here. Let me show you this. This is important for you to get when you get over to the judgment seat of Christ. That's one of the uh, things that you need to know. It's, a, it's a, the mystery of the rapture taking place. But at the judgment seat we talked about, that's an inheritance. And this comes to mind because I talked to a Christian and they've been saved at least 20 years. And when I said, you can't lose your salvation, they quoted this passage. And they quoted a passage in 2 Timothy. And I said, you're not losing your salvation. He said, oh yeah, if you do these things, you've lost your salvation. I said, no, you lose your inheritance. He goes, yeah, you lose your salvation. I said, no, you lose your inheritance. He goes, yes, you lose your salvation. I said, so you believe your salvation is your inheritance. He goes, yes. I said, no. Your salvation is the saving of your soul. Your inheritance is what you receive at the judgment seat of Christ. You can't lose your salvation. Amen. He said, that's not an inheritance. I said, no, that's a new birth. Right. What you get, because that inheritance is there, you lose the inheritance if you choose to do what the flesh does as opposed to the spirit. Now, for some of you, this is going to be new. And there are some preachers and some that aren't even far from here. And you know what they teach you? If you're doing these things, you're not even saved. Well, that's not true. You're just not walking in the Spirit. But they teach you that if they can't see it, then you're not. I don't know if you're saved or not. I can't tell if you're saved. Only God knows that and you know that. And I can't tell if how you act means you're saved. I get calls a lot of times from people say, can I put you down as a reference? And yeah, you can put me down as a reference, but here's the problem. I might have seen you for 10 years, but I don't know you. Well, yeah, you know me. I see. No, I'm doing all the talking and you're sitting. And you're on your best behavior three and four times a week. But I don't know how you work. I don't know how you get along with other people. I don't know how you supervise. I don't know whether or not you pay your bill. I don't know anything about you. I say, all you're doing is looking for a rubber stamp. Oh, well, they're a nice person. Well, yeah. What are they doing? Sitting, not saying anything. They dress nice. Right? But how does that help somebody that's looking for somebody, you know how to turn wrenches? Well, I don't know. You have work history? I don't know. Do you call in sick all the time? Do you abuse your coffee break? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. All I look at you is you all look like great people to me. I mean, I think I'm sitting here among angels tonight. I'm like, man, look at all these great people around here. Well, maybe one or two Judases in here, but I'm just saying for the most part. Look at this thing in the book of Galatians. You all know the passage. I'm just doing this for the benefit of folks that are new. The flesh lusts against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. I'm in verse 17. They're contrary one to the other. You cannot do the things that you would if you're led of the spirit. You're not under the law. The works of the flesh are manifest are these. Adultery. I don't do that. Fornication. I don't do that. Uncleanness. I don't do that. Lasciviousness. I don't do that. Idolatry. I don't do that. I might worship myself in the mirror every now and then. Uh, witchcraft. That's just rebellion. Uh, witchcraft. Hatred. Surely you don't do that. Uh, variance. That's uh, controversy. That's contention. That's uh, being uh, in, uh, in uh, disagreement or, or, or always be, being uh, in dissension. You ever been that way? That's what variance is. Emulation. That's uh, striving to be equal and always trying to put somebody else down. You sure you hadn't found yourself in the passage yet? Okay, well, let's just go a little further. Wrath, strife, seditions. That's oppositions, opposition to authority. How's that for Mr. Sovereign Citizen? I had one of, the, uh, one of the students turned in a real good dissertation on Romans 13. Um, she's doing a thing there in her biblical comprehension. And she comes down through Romans 13. Man, I'm thinking you should pass this out to every preacher in America. She's got the thing down pat. You disobey the civil authority, you're disobeying God. And if you're disobeying it for God, then you deserve whatever the civil authority puts on you. I'm like, amen, sister. You say, what'd she make? She made 100 on her paper. <laughs> Heresies, seditions, uh, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, just carousing around like you do on the internet. And such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Nothing about salvation at all. That inheritance, ladies and gentlemen, come to Ephesians 5. 
Ephesians 5. That inheritance right there that he's talking about has to do with what you inherit in eternity. Do you care? I've seen people have knockdown drag outs. That's why we have attorneys. I've seen them have prenups and have knockdown drag outs and different things like that over an inheritance, a physical inheritance. Argue over money and fight over that. And when you ask them about whether or not they want to inherit the things of God, they don't even know anything about it. You know you're entitled to an inheritance? All God said is, is walk in the Spirit. He'll provide for you a way to get it. Do you want it? Why do you walk in the flesh? I read through that passage right there and I'm thinking, I got a lot of work to do. Ephesians chapter number 5. How about uh, Christ and the church? Ephesians chapter 5, look in verse number 32. I speak a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. That's your bride. I'm here. Hebrews chapter 4 teaches you that. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 2 teaches you that. Uh, let me go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a hard one on you here. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 5 that husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Is that right? The Bible said that Jesus Christ died for the church. Is that right? Why do you despise the church? If the Lord loves the church, why don't you? If it's a mystery that nobody else had and now you've got it, why don't you appreciate what He gave you? I told you it's a tough one. But you ever pause to, to think about how we feel about the church? How we don't think anything of dismembering the church, destroying the church, talking about the church? He died for the church. Is that right? Just the fact that we don't, we're not even faithful to the church speaks of what we think about what He loves. Christ and the church is a mystery. And the Lord gave us something He didn't even give the Jew. His chosen people. How do we treat it? Well, it's a necessary evil, preacher. Something you got to do, you know, every now and then. Why, if you were as faithful to your wife as you are to the church, I'm talking about the church. You say, why, well, Christ loved the church. If you were as faithful to your wife or to your husband as you are to the church, uh, would your marriage last? If you were as faithful to attend your work, would you still have a job as you are to the church? Would you still have a job? Good it's funny how you can just kind of let those things go like, well, it, it's just the church. It, it's just the church. Well, there's hypocrites in the church. He died for the church. So he died for us hypocrites too. But, but did you ever think about how we treat the church? Maybe indicative of how we feel about him. If he loved it, why don't we love what he loves? Does he love it? Why do you despise it? Well, because it's made of people. Yeah, we're not talking about a building. It is made of people. Can I say this to you with all due respect? Have you looked in the mirror lately? Do you really think you've always been where you are now? Of course, now you're fine. You're perfect. You're great. You're marvelous. You're outstanding. You're, you're you know, the apple of everybody's eye. You're the bride at the wedding. The court. I know you got all the kinks out of your head now. You say, well, well, you know, how did you know that? I can tell by how you talk about everybody else that you must think you have arrived or you wouldn't be talking about everybody that's not on the same level. I rarely ever see those individuals talking about people that they wish they were like and want to attain. They're always talking about everybody that's not. Well, they're in the church. The church is the bride of Christ. I mean, I'm, prefer I'm preferential. I'm, what's a good word? Prejudicial toward the church. I believe we're going to get judged by our faithfulness to the church. I'm not talking about an organization. I'm talking about an organism. I think your service to the church and the people in the, the people, not the building. I think God looks at that. 
I don't care if it's Sunday school or nursery or painting doors or sweeping floors or preaching a message. I think God said, you're doing my church a service. Or treasuring, treasuring. I think God looks at that. You say, what is that? I think that's service to something He loves. Can I ask you a question? If you were judged tonight at the judgment seat of Christ based upon whether or not you love what He loves, can you say, I love the church? I love the preaching. I love the praying. I love the singing. I love the... I love the... building. <laughs> what about the peeps in the building? Do you ever think of that? You know, there's a lot that the Bible says about it. The Bible says, Fake, uh, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, even more so such as you see the day of... Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Where? Church, Paul said, we gather on the first day of the week. Isn't that what he says? Isn't that what he says? Well, 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 what's the problem then? Why do we have to beg people to come to what Jesus loves? Well, Jesus loves the people, but you don't have to go to church. Really? Where did you get that? You don't have to go to church to be saved. But where, who told you you don't have to go to church to be a Christian? Who told you that? Who doesn't want you in church? God or the devil? Who gets the glory for that? When you lay out when you should be here, who gets the glory for that? Well, it doesn't really matter. We'll see when you get to the judgment seat. Why did He provide it if He didn't want you to be a part of it? It doesn't even make logical sense. But man, if a preacher preaches about being faithful to the church nowadays, oh, he's just trying to make people feel guilty. And all. I'm just preaching the Bible. I believe you should be faithful to your local church. I believe faithfulness is one of the things you'll be judged on in eternity. I believe you expect a preacher to be faithful of the mysteries. I believe I should be held to a higher standard. I believe, as I told a preacher that asked me a couple of questions today, I said, brother, I don't get to do what I want to do in another country somewhere. I'm a pastor all the time. Amen. I don't have a private life. Well, I just don't really... I, what, you, you must be doing something in the closet. That's all I know. Amen. That's how you live your life. It's public. Everything you do matters. Amen. That's part of the responsibility. Otherwise, don't accept the call. Right. You're going to be a policeman? You better be willing to be made fun of and laughed at and wear a uniform and stand out and have people despise you just because you put on a blue suit. And if you don't want then don't get in it. You're not entitled to that. But have you ever judged your own self in that matter? Do you know that people judge you for your faithfulness? Well, it's none of their business. Why would, you, why would it bother you if you were doing right? You want to be judged right when you appear at work all the time. You expect to get a bump because you didn't take any sick days. How many sick days you take from church? On, Your excuse for staying home always a good one? Is the ox always in the ditch? Come on. <coughs> good preach. Amen. Good preach. Amen. Are you in 1 Corinthians? I know I'm, it's 8 o'clock. I told you I'd let you out. If I'm supposed to be one flesh, isn't that what he's comparing it to? That means comparatively, I'm supposed to be in a situation where uh, me and the church become like one. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, look in verse number, I think it's 16, let me get there. I'm going to have to pick this up on Sunday. Don't come if you wanna, don't want to be offended. That's it. What, know you not that he which is joined unto a harlot is one body, and the two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit? Flee fornication. Can I take this and just use it as far as the context is concerned? How many people join themselves to everything in the world carnally, but when it comes to joining themselves to a church, they won't do it? They commit to everything else, but they won't commit to the church. Why not? Why not? I don't push you for membership here, but why wouldn't you want to be a part of it? 
But I just gonna watch it a while, just kind of watch and see, you know, how them, how them Christians can be. Yeah, they must be like you. You must be suspicious because you're one of them. You must think people are going to treat you like they are. I get wore out with that. Get in or get out or get out of the way. What, what, what is that? Afraid of commitment. You committed to your marriage. You committed to your car loan. You committed to your mortgage. You committed to your job. You're committed to raising your kids. You're committed to everything else. Oh, you're going to commit to the church? Well, preacher, now you know, I, I, just, I just... Yeah, I know. I see your priorities. I see your priorities. And it's not right. It's not a good example. You say, why? The Lord's judging you and other people are judging you. Imagine if I'm the pastor and I don't show up because just, I'm just tired tonight. Well, then we wouldn't pay you. You honestly think the only reason I come is because you pay me? There's a lot of years that wasn't going on. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm trying to say if it's a mystery and the Lord likens it unto a marriage, why if He loved and died for it, why would you despise it so bad? I'm wore out with that. Why would you not think twice about tearing it out of the frame? You're tearing him out of the frame. Yeah, I know, I know all your excuses are good. They're all valid. They're all good reasons. I'm telling you right now, if you can't commit here, you need to find a place you can commit to. You say, why? I'm trying to help you at the judgment seat of Christ. I believe in it. 2 Corinthians 11, I've got to hurry. I don't think it quite goes that far. That's because you're guilty. You got people that fight to get here. You got people that bothers them so bad that they can't be here. You have people that work all day long. I'm talking hard work, physical labor. Drive an hour and a half one way. And there's people that are within 15 minutes of this place and you had a hard day behind the desk today and you can't make it to church. I bet you you'll get your fat behind out of bed tomorrow to go make a dollar bill. Because you love that. Making it rain, huh? Well, your money perished with you, Judas. I bet you get up and get your kids to soccer practice. Come on, I bet you drive halfway across the country to go to a tournament. Come on, preacher. But you can't drive 15 minutes to get church. Well, preacher, it's just going to be you preaching or you're out of town. One of them boys is preaching and I just soon got... Then go find you a church where you can commit to and get in yeah. neck deep. You're living in a day where the Bible says they depart from the faith. You say, why? Preacher's not going to tell you what I just did. You say, why? Because it offended half of you. Because when it comes to your church attendance, you're lazy. And you found excuses that God wouldn't accept. But everybody else is like, well, you know, we're just glad to see you when we got you. Well, I'm glad to see you when I got you, but I've got to tell you the truth. If the Lord died for the church, laying at home, Suppose the Lord just fixes it one day where you can permanently lay at home. And he just says, well, you know, you want to lay at home, so you can just stay at the house. If God died for the church and made the church, why shouldn't you be a part of it? It's an unusual passage here. Look in 2 Corinthians 11. Look in verse number uh, 1. Would God bear with me a little uh, folly? And indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. That's what you're likened unto. 
And when you step outside and you decide to give the world more attention than to give to him, it's the same thing uh, fornication-wise as far as spiritually is concerned. has nothing to do with physical fornication at all. Physical fornication is wrong. Would you agree? Yes. Last one, 2 Corinthians 5. We'll go home. It's a great mystery, the Jew and Gentile in one body. You got in and got a better deal. And the way that we have a tendency to treat it, ladies and gentlemen, is like it ain't that big a deal. I mean, there are people in here that have given up life and career and families and friends and all that. You say, what? Well, it's for the Lord, but it's for the church. This church means everything to them because it's connected with their Savior. Just keep acting like it ain't that big of a deal and see what the Lord does with it. The Bible says a mystery, Christ in the church. You know what I think the mystery is? <laughs> that the church being in the condition it is, that He would still love us the way He does and die for us. Because we take it for granted. The old adage was, is that uh, you come Sunday morning and it shows people... Uh, what is it? How's that thing go? Shows uh, how people love themselves. And they come Sunday night, it shows uh, how people uh, love the preacher. And come Wednesday night, actually shows whether or not they love God. I've often wondered in a revival meeting why it's not just as full during a revival meeting as it is during Sunday morning service. I mean, if you love the church, it don't fit in your daytime, or does it? You just expect every Sunday for us to be here to be ready to entertain you when you decide that you've got time to show up. And you expect the full meal deal. Right? You expect Ritz-Carlton service at bargain, bargain basin prices. And if you're new here, you're thinking, oh man, I sure don't want to go here now. They're telling me I've got to go to church. No, you ain't got to do anything. We're going to love you even if you don't come. But just you showing up is not going to put us in a position where we're begging with you and trying to tell you something that ain't true. You don't come because you don't want to come. And if your ox is in the ditch, I get it. But you're going to have a hard time explaining to a bunch of these old people that have a hard time crawling around on all fours and they can come and you can't come and you're healthy. Don't tell me you can't come when you can still work and cut your grass and trim your hedges and paint your barns and get your car fixed and drive all over the creation and go all over the tarnation for uh, vacations and hanging out and take cruises and do all that stuff. And you can't sit on your behind in a pew for an hour or two. Amen. I don't believe that. I think it's because you don't love what he loved. I don't think you consider it a privilege that we have a church. It's a, it is an absolute miracle that we have a church. I mean, a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, it is an absolute miracle. We get calls all the time. There ain't no Bible-believing church anywhere around us. If it wasn't for y'all, if I could get there, I'd get there. If it wasn't for y'all, we don't have any Bible-believing church. Wish we had a Bible-believing church. Preacher, could you send a preacher out here to start a work out here? We'll go. They can start in our living room. We get them all the time. What are y'all doing? Yeah, we got a church. Yeah, you know what they started doing back during COVID? They started closing the Wednesday night service and then the Sunday night service. You know why? You know what a preacher told me? Independent, fundamental, King James only, Bible believer. He said, preacher, what I got to do is close the doors for a lack of interest. He said, what do you think about that? I said, burn a 60 watt bulb and get up there and preach and leave the doors open. He said, well, preacher, you know, you just can't do stuff like that. People just don't want to come anymore. Oh, but by the grace of God, Amen. me and you get that way. Do you love what he loves? Are you loyal to it? Are you faithful to it? 
You ever pause to think about that bunch of snot-nosed, crying youngins in there with women in there taking care of them? You ever think about that? You ever think about the Sunday school kids? Do you ever realize that these people that are popping out babies right now, right and left, do you ever pause and think, what are they going to have if they have the same attitude you do toward the church? You ever wonder why kids don't, they, they leave? He's, well, maybe I need to do this. Maybe I need to do that. No, his problem ain't that you don't have something for the kids. The parents don't care nothing about it. So the kid's like, well, you know, don't go. Uh, go to soccer. Go to baseball. Go to football. Uh, go to college. Go to school. Go to do anything. Do anything. Church will always be there. Uh, live your life. Do whatever it is you want to do. Uh, I mean, go go to the football game. Uh, go to the dance. Go, go, go have fun. Uh, I mean, enjoy your life while you're young and stuff. Uh, the church will be there. You keep on with that, it won't be here. No, it won't. It won't be here. You say, why? You're teaching the kids that the church is something you do when you ain't got nothing else to do. Yeah, work late on Wednesday night. What's the difference? What difference does that make? Yeah, go on and go to work on Sunday afternoon. What difference does it make? It's just the church that He died for, that He loves. But you keep on treating it like that. I'm telling you, you boys know, you let the roof keep leaking. It'll last a while. I mean, get you a pot and put it under there. It'll last a while. I don't know how long, but sooner or later, the rafter will start leaking. And then before long, a little black mold will start growing. And the insulation will get wet. And then before long, it'll start to sag. And, and then before long, you're going to start having some problems. And what you could have fixed with a little bit of roof and tar and a little bit of bull up there, all of a sudden has changed. And now you've got a major overhaul on your hands. Because you just, it'll be all right. As a church, ladies and gentlemen, if the church depended on you to last, how long would it last? I don't think the problem is that we don't have a youth program. I think the problem is we don't have the support of the parents in the youth program. Amen. Second Corinthians, and I'll close. Chapter 5, look in verse number 6. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by and not by. We're confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present where? Verse number 9, wherefore we do what? Can I ask you this question, ladies and gentlemen? If I'm still here bodily, what is that command? That command is, as long as I'm down here, I'm the labor for the Lord. And you know what you're teaching your kids? You worry about answering God's call and laboring for the Lord after you've gotten your career and after you've gotten your direction and after you've gotten your husband and after you've gotten your wife and after you've gotten your retirement and after you've gotten this and after you got... I mean, when you get about 30 or so, come on back in and then you can settle in. You really think they're going to get back? Are they going to get back like you? Half in and half out? I mean, if we were an army and we had a responsibility to take a hill and it depended on people just showing up to be able to buy numbers to take the hill, how effective do you think we'd be if we had to count on you, knowing you're going to be there? I mean, could you be counted on to be there? Oh, now, preacher, you know I'm going to be there. You know what you just said? <laughs> I ain't coming. Nobody has to ask you if you're going to be there if you're always there. You say, what are you talking about? Uh, it's a little thing called the church. Don't come to Sunday school Sunday. You say, why? I'm going to talk about what Christ loves. Amen. And your actions show you don't love it. I'm not talking about the Catholics and the Charismatic. You know what's sad? They got you beat. They love their churches more than you do. You say, how do you know? You've been to a Catholic Mass lately? Man, you can't find a way in there for nothing. You been to a charismatic church lately? See, they're just going for your entertainment. They love it. What about you?
Well, preacher, you know, that's just your opinion. No, I'm, I gave you the Bible. It's a mystery. Christ and the church. The relationship compares you to a chaste virgin. You ain't been cheating on him, have you? You ain't been stepping out on him, messing up your white garment, have you? You ain't been giving the world and the flesh and the devil a little more time. You've been giving your espoused husband, have you? Surely not. Not No, not you. Surely not. Not King James only Bible believers rightly dividers. No, surely not. Why, if every Christian showed up in their churches across America tomorrow, you'd have all kind of people calling and saying, we need more pastors, we need more pastors. Why? The ones we had died of heart attack. Because everybody showed up. It's a responsibility. I'm old school when it comes to loyalty. I believe if you're married, you ought to be loyal to your wife or your husband. Well, if I'm married to Christ, then that means I should be loyal to Him and He loved the church, so I'm going to be loyal to it. Amen. Father, bless Your Word and uh, pray. You'll take these things and do something with it as You see fit and ask You to bless these people and their willingness to come tonight. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.